God bless you. We may, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. We are going to be continuing our series today on holiness. Before we start, I did want to make just one mention. Please, please, please try to come this Saturday uh, for outreach at 10 a.m. We will be here for outreach and going out and doing our door hangers. We are actually behind schedule with it. For the first half of the year, we were uh, blowing it out of the water, and then, of course, like everything, we kind of start to to loosen it at at this point, and we can't do that, right? We want to step up and and go and deliver more, and make sure that we're sticking to our goals and those things we're trying to do. Hallelujah! So please try to make it this Saturday, as well as Sunday, of course, for Sunday service and be in prayer for that. I believe it's going to be a blessed service. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to be continuing our series on holiness. In this course, we have been presenting principles on how to live a life for God wholly and completely, right? Now, for a lesson that's all about being whole, uh, I must be clear about something. I am not going to be able to give you wholly what it's going to take to live wholly and completely for the Lord in these lessons, right? Because to do so would be just impossible. I could not, as I've stated many times before, write out a list of rules that are that is long enough. I couldn't write out a list of of you know ideas or principles to live by that will be uh, uh, again long enough and full enough to be allow us to live completely for the Lord. But what we are trying to do, rather than to present some do's and don'ts, is to present some principles some ideas that we can live by that will help us to live holy for the Lord. If you weren't here last Sunday, we talked specifically about the first uh, great and second great commandments, the first being love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then then the like is likened to it, love thy neighbor as thyself, right? So those are two principles of holiness we must abide by. We must learn to love God. If we love God, we're going to abide by his will, right? We're going to do what he wants us to do, praise God. And then also love our neighbor. If we love our neighbor, we're not going to hurt our neighbor. We're not going to steal from our neighbor or do something wrong against our neighbor. Again, without peace and holiness, none shall see the Lord. We must have peace with our brother and holiness with God. These are two uh, of the, the same ideas, but again, Uh, given in a sense of God, our relationship with God, and our relationship with man. So today, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be looking at a new uh, way of looking at holiness and being whole in the presence of God. So this is lesson three. We're going to be talking about public versus private, which of course should be an obvious factor when we're talking about living completely for the Lord, right? However, I think it's worth taking some time to talk about and emphasizing here in this place. If you like to head in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, 
we'll use this passage of Scripture as um, a Scripture text to allow us to kind of gather these ideas clearly. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, first of all, listen to the way he says this. Wherefore, my beloved, the church there at Philippi was a church that was dear to Paul's heart, a church that he greatly cared for and loved them. When he says, my beloved, that is not a term that you would just use willy-nilly, right? It's not a term that you just throw on anybody. He's expressing his love for these people. He says, as ye have always obeyed, comma, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, or with more earnestness in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this passage of Scripture is very important, and we're going to break it down a little bit by just talking about the history of the book of Philippians. First of all, Paul planted the church there in Philippi on his second missionary journey around AD 50. And it was a short visit. He wasn't there in Philippi long, but he was there long enough to build a church, to start a group of people who were gathering together to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to fulfill his will there in Philippi. And then he left like he did in many of his journeys. Now, he may have visited, gone there from time to time um, after that, but the only time that is recorded that he went was about five years later And that's when he went on his third missionary journey around A.D. 55. He was there for a little bit. He left for about three months. Then he visited again in route to Jerusalem. He stopped by Philippi again. So so needless to say, he wasn't there a whole lot, right? Uh, Nearly two years after that, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. He eventually was sent to Rome after a few more years Paul is sitting inside of a jail cell in Rome. He's got the liberty of paper, uh, or, you know, it probably wasn't called paper at that point, maybe paperous or, you know, but he had the liberty to have writing utensils to be able to write letters. He could have visitors. People came and visited him, and he could send these letters all over the the areas that he preached at before. And it is believed that there in that jail cell is where Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church nearly 10 years after its founding, 10 years afterwards. Now, this is 
quite interesting because we see just a couple of different ideas here. And that is, first of all, um, he spent time with them, but we recognize he wasn't there consistently. But even though he was not there consistently, they still recognized his authority. They recognized his position. They recognized his wisdom and his understanding of the word of God. And the Bible says they obeyed it. Amen. They obeyed it. So I'm going to be talking about three different principles tonight that we're going to specifically talk about. Principle number one, holiness includes willful obedience to the leaders God has put in our lives. Now I recognize today the job I have is awkward because I'm the pastor. And it's always awkward to stand behind a pulpit and say, hey, everybody needs to listen to me. All right, so please just have mercy on me tonight and help me to get through this because I don't want to sit here and say these things. But this is a scriptural principle that we must learn, amen? We must grab a hold of because even though Paul did not mean that he was physically there, they recognize his leadership and authority so much so that even when he was absent, they respected it. They abided by it. They fulfilled it, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful today that God put leaders in my life to help me live for God. Hallelujah. Help me to do what I need to do. In fact, you know, I was thinking about it just the other day. I thought, well, you know, the, the people who are here, they, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm constantly ministering into your life. As a pastor, I'm constantly talking to you, handing out advice, doing all these things. And, you know, of course, I don't know if you abide by it or not. That's up to you, praise God. But I'm constantly doing this. And I thought, well, man, I don't really have that right now in my life since we came over here. I do have ministers and leaders that I talk to from time to time. In fact, even just last night, I didn't tell my wife this, but uh, my, last night I reached out to my dad about about a certain thing. She knows what I'm talking about. A certain uh, topic that came up that I was questioning on, I had some concerns about. I reached out to my father, who is my pastor, about it. But I realized something, that even though I may not be physically sitting under their leadership as they preach to me, I am still abiding under the authority. I am still submitted, even though I may not be present in the building with them, I am still able to submit under the leadership of my pastor by abiding by his word, even when he isn't there. Oh, hallelujah, praise God. I tell you, there. I, I, I'd appreciate it today if you would get it in your heart and say, you know what, even if I, even if you move on and you become a, your own pastor, you become a pastor of a church, or God forbid, somebody's called out of here. You got to go, go to some other church, hallelujah. I'd love it if you just hold on to the principles you've heard and hallelujah, hold on to the lessons you've learned and take it with you, praise God. Praise the Lord. For Hebrews 13 and 17, it says this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now, that's a big statement there. Obey them that have the rule over you. It's not even a statement. It's a commandment. Obey them. That means, yes, I must do what they say for me to do. 
Now, I'll make this a whole lot better and easier for us in just a moment. But let's just take this for what it means. It means obey them. Do as they ask you to do. Uh, The same principle applies to your parents. Obey your mother and your father. How would you apply that to your life? It's the same thing as our leaders, our spiritual leadership. Obeying them as they give us commandments, as they tell us what the Scripture says, as they do these things, we obey them. And submit ourselves. Meaning, I'm not going to try to get into a uh, emotional or a mental or a educational fistfight with my leader. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be like the devil and try to share his authority or God's authority or the leader's authority. I'm going to submit, meaning going lower. You know what the ideal situation for a church is? is that it's a whole bunch of people attempting to go under. Hallelujah. We should be fighting around here who can be the greatest servant. Amen, right? We should be fighting around here who can go under the further, the furthest. Hallelujah. And I promise you, you will submit to me. Hallelujah. I'm going to do the same and submit right back. Praise God. And we'll go through this tug of war of who can be the greatest servant. Praise God. Because again, that's what the Bible calls us to. And I know that I've had people say, well, well, the Bible says to submit ye one to another. Absolutely. So that's why this shouldn't be controversial or strange, or weird. We're submitting ourselves to each other all the time. But he's emphasizing here, you must submit yourself to your leader, to those who have the rule over you, meaning those God has a place with authority in your life. Why? Because they watch for your souls. As a watchman on the wall, watching out, trying to to, uh, spot the enemy in your life as they must give an account to God for those things that they see. They have to give an account for their actions. Is that what Scripture says? We must give an account for our own actions? That includes my actions towards you. I must give an account how I treated you. And if God's given me the authority or the responsibility to declare or to call out when things are wrong in your life or things are not going right or the devil is attacking you, if I do not, then I have to hold and be held accountable for me because that's my job. That's what God's called me to. As the Scripture says, if the watchman announces that the enemy is coming and the people abide not by it, then their blood is on their own hands. But if the watchman does not declare what they see and does not ring the bell and tell them the enemy is coming, then all of their heads or their blood is on the hands of the watchman. That's why the Bible calls the leadership of the church watchmen, because there's great responsibility in their uh, anointing and authority, that they may watch for the soul, that they may give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Uh, there's, there's a lot I could say about that. I'm going to try to just move on, though. Hallelujah. But that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I will make this statement, although I can think of many, many reasons why that's profitable for me if you would obey and submit with joy. 
But he actually gives a different reason. He says, it's not even about me at all. He says, it's about you. He says, that is unprofitable for you to do so. Because if your pastor or your leaders are having a hard time leading you, how is that going to help you? How is it going to help you if they're upset and they're aggravated and they're, you know, they're having to struggle and fight you and do all this stuff? That's not profitable for anyone. So he says if you want a profitable life, if you want a profitable relationship with your leader, then you must, must do it with joy. Hallelujah. Submit with joy. Obey with joy. Hallelujah. Is this okay here today? Now, on the flip side, let me talk to our leaders today. I believe that at some point, at one point in our uh, history, the man of God, woman of God, they were uh, held with great respect and high regard. Things have changed an awful lot. Hallelujah. It was not only acceptable, but it was expected for a man or woman of God to command to tell people directly things, to even in sometimes, and we even see examples in scriptures, some of the men of God were harsh in the way that they did it. What didn't didn't Jesus call one woman a dog? Right? <laughs> Hallelujah. So even harshly doing it. I believe these days we're in different times. I don't believe that is acceptable and it will not be adhered to. I have discovered in my leadership it's better not to come at people that way, but to come after them with humility and to come to them with love, to come with people with respect. I'm not trying to be an authoritarian around here. And whatever I say goes, hallelujah, that's not benefit for beneficial for any of us. So as leaders, we're not here walking around saying, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. I will specifically try to give you suggestions on how to improve your life. I'll open up the Word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. Hallelujah. But at the end of the day, it is on you to make the decision to change or not. Hallelujah. And I cannot lord over the flock, the Bible says. Meaning I'm just sitting around and expecting everybody else to do what I'm unwilling to do myself. Praise God. Is this all right here today? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I must be willing to do what I tell others to do. I cannot be authoritative. I cannot sit around and demand or command. I cannot get in people's faces. Hallelujah. I must allow them. You build uh, again, you build the right to speak into people's lives. You don't assume the right to speak into people's lives. Uh, and ministers, preachers previously, that's exactly what they did. They assumed the right. And because of their title, they were automatically given respect to do so. The title of the preacher, pastor, spiritual leaders has diminished greatly in respect due to leaders, and oftentimes due to leaders who did not hold it in respect, who abused their roles. So that, that respect to that man of God has diminished. Now we must build influence. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean we don't preach the Word of God. 
We just have to build influence and let it come from a position of servitude, humility, and love. Somebody say amen. Ephesians 6 and 5, I recognize this is talking of a relationship in those days of a servant and a master. But I believe that there are a couple principles here that should be applied. If this applies to them, certainly it applies to the relationship of a servant or a, a church member and a church leader. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. That sounds a whole lot like what Paul said, right? With fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. That word singleness means whole with all of your heart, meaning my heart isn't divided. That means I'm not going to do it when the pastor's here and then do something different when the pastor's not here, right? Hallelujah. That means I'm not going to do it while I'm in the church building, but when I'm at home, I'm going to do something different. Oh, praise God. I'm sorry. I didn't realize this would be so good today. Hallelujah. But hallelujah, again, wholeness of heart, meaning I'm going to do it all, and I'm going to give it all. Listen, I don't want you to lie to me. (laughs) I don't want you to lie to me. I can't help you if you pretend. If you pretend like everything's okay, then you're not going to get what you need. You might as well stop coming. I'm not saying I want you to stop coming. I'm just saying you might as well. Because if you don't come into this place and you're being sincere and honest with the leadership, with the church, with God, then there's nothing we can do to help you. But if you come in and you say, yeah, I'm messed up when I'm at home and I'm also messed up when I'm here, that's great. Now we got somewhere to start. Hallelujah. We got stuff to work on, praise God. And trust me, we all have stuff to work on. So praise the Lord. Again, with singleness of of heart, don't do it halfway. Don't do it here and not there. Don't do it in, in my presence, but not do it in my absence, right? But do it all together with a whole heart. Praise God. So Principle number one, holiness includes willful obedience to the leaders God has put in our lives. If that's true, principle number two, holiness includes living out the word of God in the ends of our leaders. Living out the word of God in the absence of our leaders. I have a question. You don't have to answer. But just think about it. Where was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's leader? You consider the story where they were demanded to bow down, and they did not. And because of it, they threw them in a fiery pit. Where was their leader in that story? (laughs) Was that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So Daniel, we know, was their leader, right? After Daniel had interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, he was made ruler over all the the province of Babylon, the Bible says, and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. So he was not the chief of over all the wise men. He was over the governors, 
who are, so he was over the guys who were over the guys. Praise God. And the only reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was anything was because Daniel brought them along. Daniel 2, 48 or 49, then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. I love that. Hallelujah. So he set them over there. These were men that obviously were governors, right? He was chief of the governors. These were obviously governors in the province of Babylon. But Daniel, he sat at the gate of the king. He was in a higher position of authority, a greater level of respect than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So when it came down to the moment of truth, Where was Daniel? Now, many people have even tried to claim, well, maybe Daniel fell. I don't believe that. We don't know where Daniel was. Perhaps he was on a trip. Maybe he left. Maybe he was doing something for the king. We don't know. Perhaps he just wasn't mentioned because maybe people feared him too much, right? (laughs) And so, you know, we'll bring up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not going to talk about Daniel. He sits at the king's gate, right? Uh, Hallelujah. But whatever it was, in Daniel 3.12, it says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province uh, of Babylon. These are these men who are talking to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So he he says, listen, these three men you need to keep an eye on. Why they didn't bring Daniel into the story, I don't know. Again, maybe he was gone. Maybe they feared him too much. But when it came down to it and Nebuchadnezzar did this trial of their faith and said, when the music plays... You must bow down. We don't, again, we don't see Daniel in the narrative. I remember a preacher one time praying about this, and I heard him preach this. He said, you know, I prayed about this, and I asked God, where is Daniel in this story? Where is their leader? He said, I felt God speak to me as clear as day and tell me, in this situation, I am placing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a spot where they are going to have to live out their faith without their leader. So again, I have no idea where, they, where he is, but I know why he's not there. It's because God says, sometimes I need my people to learn how to live for me without their leader, how to not bow even when their leader isn't there, how to stay standing. Come on, can you stay standing without your pastor? Can you stay standing without your leader? Has this ingrained inside of you enough to where even if the church wasn't here tomorrow, you'd still live for God? You'd still live by the principles that have been taught? still live. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You'd still do as you've been taught by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Because let me tell you something. The fourth man in the fire was not their leader. 
Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. The fourth man in the fire was not Daniel. It was not their leader. You're right. I believe it was Jesus Christ in the fire. But listen, you're not going to be able to see the fourth man until you go through some stuff without your leader. But I promise you, even if the leader isn't there, the fourth man is there. Even if the pastor is not there, the fourth man is there. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Praise God. Even when the leader's not there, Jesus absolutely is there. Oh, can we call on him right now? Can we praise him? Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you, God. Hallelujah. So I must live in obedience even when my pastor or my leader is not there. They are not present. Now, we can speak of this in general terms. Let's narrow it down just a little bit more. That means living out principle number two requires us to have a personal walk with God and a willingness to study the Bible for ourselves. If you aren't doing it with a leader, you're not going to do it without a leader. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, can we, I feel the presence of the Lord. Can we just for a moment? Oh, Oh, Jesus, yes, Lord God. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Lord calling out to us today, saying, would you, would you come to me? Would you pursue me? Hallelujah, I want to meet you for who you are. I want to find you. I want a relationship with you. Would you make this personal? Would you do it not because someone else told you, but because you love me and because you cherish me? I love you. I died for you. You are individually mine, and I am individually yours. Hallelujah. Can we clap our hands and thank the Lord? Oh, Jesus, I praise you, God. I hear you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. So number two, principle number two requires us to have a personal walk with God. I tell you, you cannot live off of your pastor or your leader's walk with God. You cannot live off of Sunday's anointing to carry you throughout the week. You must have a personal walk with God. You cannot live off of what other people know about God. Hallelujah, this isn't in my notes, but you know those sons of Sceva attempting to cast out the demon out of the, the, the man. He says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? It's because they were living off of Paul's anointing. They even said, I adjure you, by the God that Paul preaches, by the name that Paul preaches, I believe it is. Hallelujah. 
I recognize today you might want to be like the, your leader, and that's okay. I tell you, uh, you know, I'm not much to live up to, but, but you may try to live like your leader, may try to live like your pastor or people who are over you. That's all right. But at the end of the day, make sure you're not piggybacking off of their name and their calling, and their anointing. Recognize that if you're going to use that name, you need to have a relationship with God for yourself. Hallelujah. You're not going to be anointed because your pastor's anointed. You're not going to be powerful because your pastor's powerful. Hallelujah. You're not going to have a great biblical knowledge because your pastor has it. And I praise God. I'm hoping to get all those things, praise the Lord, as you are. But you're not going to get it just because somebody else has it without reaching for it for yourself. Without reaching for it for yourself. You're not going to have an understanding of Scripture quite enough only by listening to preaching and teaching. And trust me, I love preaching. I love teaching. I do a lot of it, as you know. I am willing to teach anybody a Bible study. I'm willing to do whatever I can to help you to learn the Scriptures. But at the end of the day, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I learned a long time ago, I have to be very careful living my life based on other people's thoughts and opinions. Now, again, I hope that whatever is preached, we try to make sure whatever is preached beyond this pulpit is scriptural, is from the Word of God. We try to make sure that it is doctrinally sound. However, you cannot just take our word for it. That's why we encourage you to bring your Bible. Because I want to make sure you're reading your Bible. And a long time ago, it was a much bigger deal because people didn't have Bibles or the knowledge of the Bible. And the preacher could say, this is what the Bible says, and completely misquote it. They were not held accountable. Listen, I want you to hold me accountable to the Word of God. I want you to study the Bible, and if there's any inconsistency from what I'm preaching as to what the Bible says, I want you to bring it to me. Because either I can help you to see that perspective, or I'm going to have to change my perspective. Hallelujah. Because I love and respect the Word of God. The Word of God is number one in this place, not my voice. Hallelujah. But that's why we've got to study to show ourselves approved. Because at the end of the day, When we go to heaven, we cannot say, well, my pastor says. Well, you didn't do this. Well, my pastor says. Well, you should have done this. Well, my pastor says. Is this all right? Hallelujah. I got to study to show myself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It, what he's meaning is, again, it is ashamed. I can be ashamed if I don't know what I'm believe in because I've only ever held on to the words of the preacher or the pastor. Come on. This is about holiness. Hallelujah. And living for God holy. Praise God. If we're going to do that, we need a personal walk with God and we need to study the Bible for ourselves. Would somebody say amen? I better move on. Living for God in public and in private 
is essential if we're going to live holy for God. As Paul said, and it may be in a different type of a, a, a setting, he says that you live for me or you obeyed in my presence and in my absence. In other words, in public and in private. Although we've been applying this in the sense of the man of God and living for God, listening to the pastor, listening to the, to the leaders in our lives, also living for God without them, let's also look at it from a, the perspective of just simply living for God in public and living for God in private. Philippians 2.12 can be applied in general terms to our public lives and private lives. When he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, again, that can, be a, that can be recognized. That's something we must do in private and something we must do in public. So principle number three, we must hold fast to our convictions in whatever atmosphere we are in. We must hold fast to our convictions in whatever atmosphere we are in. That word conviction, it means a fixed or firm belief. I think of it like, again, something that is solid. The Bible says not to be double-minded, right? It also says not to be carried about with every wind of doctrine. Meaning I, I need to get my belief system and I need to concrete it inside of me. Now again, we can only do that through much studying, right? Studying the Word of God helps us to fix our beliefs, that our beliefs would become firm in our heart. Because if you're wishy-washy on what you believe in, then you're not going to stand for them when the situation arises, right? Uh, if I don't have a firm belief or opinion on something, I'm not going to jump into a conversation where they're debating it, right? <laughs> so in other words, I can be no help to anybody unless I get my convictions and I allow them to become fixed or firm. Praise God. The, Hugh Stevenson Tigner, he said this, the most important thing about a man is what he believes in the depth of his being. This is the thing that makes him what he is. The thing that organizes him and feeds him. The thing that keeps him going in the face of untoward circumstances. The thing that gives him resistance. Hallelujah. We have to get a conviction in our heart. We must believe this that we're willing to believe it out in the public and we're willing to abide by it in the private. Come on, anybody believe that here today? We need to get a belief in the Word of God and in the, the, the uh, uh, principles that we're talking about. We need to apply them so that they are fixed in our hearts. And we must have the courage to carry out our convictions. Amen. I mean, God help us that we only have conviction but no courage to live it out. God help us if we only believe but we never carry out those convictions with courageous zeal. Hallelujah. Praise God. So with our convictions, we must have courage. That word courage, it means the ability to sacrifice for your beliefs when doing wrong 
is easier, feels better, and brings a reward. I mean, that's a pretty intense statement. Courage, the ability to sacrifice for your beliefs when doing wrong is easier, feels better, and brings a reward. When is it not easier? It <laughs> feels better and brings a reward. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we, we recognize today that I must have a conviction. If you don't have a, a, a conviction about who Jesus is, you need to study your Bible and pray until you get a conviction. If you don't have a conviction about the plan of salvation, I believe everybody needs a conviction about repenting every day. I believe everybody needs a conviction that we must be baptized, that, that we must receive the Holy Ghost. We need a conviction that we must live holy lives. Hallelujah. And I could go on and on and on, but we need a fixed conviction in our hearts And then we need an ability to sacrifice for those beliefs, even when it may hurt us momentarily, even when it's hard, even when it feels better not to do it. Hallelujah. So we're talking about living for God in private and in public. Let's first start by living for God in private. Living for God in private requires Integrity. Integrity, the definition is the state of being whole, entire, or undiminished. Sounds a whole lot like our topic today, doesn't it? Living for God in holiness. In other words, I'm not one thing in public and another thing in private. That's what it means. So another definition of the word integrity is the person you are when no one is asking. When nobody's looking, nobody's questioning, nobody's watching, you're going to live those convictions. Hallelujah. What if you are alone in private, in the dark? Do you live the same way as you do in the light? That's the ultimate question. Of course, we all know We don't want to be a hypocrite. But what does a hypocrite look like? A hypocrite is someone who is pretending to do something or believe something, but really aren't doing that thing or believing that thing. Now, again, I recognize sometimes we have convictions, but we're struggling in the flesh, right? In those situations, let's be truthful and honest. You don't have to walk around and say, oh, I'm suffering with this specific thing. But be honest. Be truthful and say, I'm not perfect. And, and yeah, I'm struggling like you're struggling. Because to take a position that we have no sin is to make us a liar. So I must not be hypocritical. I must recognize that I have to live for God in private just as I'm living for God in public. And when they do not match up, that's when there's a problem. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, we need to hear this. This should put fear in our hearts. It says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. In other, things, the, in other words, the things I do in darkness 
and the things I think in my heart. You say, well, it's just in my mind or in my heart. I'm not acting upon them. Well, he says, I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to manifest it. At some point, it will be all out and open. Oh, praise God. At some point, it will be all out in the open. So why try to hide it now? Again, again, this is difficult because being truthful, honest, it may require broken relationships. There's times when I have to go to my wife in honesty and tell her the truth about something that sometimes hurts her and sometimes hurts me. There's been times where I've had to apologize to you guys even because of something I've done, and maybe you didn't even know I did it, but I had to be truthful and honest because I didn't want to hide it. I wanted to bring all secrets to the surface. Some people may think that this is silly. It was just a few months ago I called a friend of mine. About four years ago, four or five years ago, they had said something to me, and I responded in a very prideful way, and it was not a very uh, respectable way. Now, I, I don't know why. Every now and then God does this, where I'll be in prayer, and God will remind me of something I did years ago that was so small and insignificant, and then I'll feel the need that I have to make amends. You know, I actually called that person, And even though our relationship had long surpassed it, I called him and I said, hey, man, I just wanted you to know that I apologize for this and I didn't mean it that way. And, and, you know, it was was coming from a place of pride. It was because of this in my life and this in my life. I explained the whole situation. I let all the secrets out. He said, Aaron, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) But you know why confession is good for the soul? It's because it cleanses out all the darkness, takes away all the secrets. That way I'm not, I'm not over here with this hidden agenda and that hidden agenda. And, uh, you know, I'm not living a lie. I'm not being fake. Hallelujah. Let's be truthful. Let's live for God with truth and honesty and sincerity. How are we going to be holy if we can't be truthful? How are we going to be holy if we can't be sincere in our walk with God? Obviously, that also means I can't knowingly sin in in private without anybody else knowing i got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I think that applies even more so in the privacy of our own homes where it's so easy to do things and nobody will never know about it. But I have to decide to live for God wholly and completely. I'm, I'm trying to come to a close. Living for God in public. Character. The definition of qualities of honesty courage, or the like. It's also character is synonymous with reputation. Another definition of the word character is the person you are when people are asking. Now, although this, for me, I tend to find this a little bit easier than others 
I, I recognize that this is still a tough thing. It's easier for me to live publicly as a pastor and a preacher. Those are my titles. I struggle a little bit more in the private areas. I have to be even more careful in the private areas. But in this, I realized as I started to think about this, how intricately this is. And if I really start to think, think, man, maybe I'm not as good at living for God publicly as I think. Because when people begin to put the pressure on, can I live for God? Now, this passage of Scripture may seem easy to carry out. It says, Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which also is in heaven. You know, again, I, I as a child, I think about these things, and I remember reading books of people who were martyrs, and, and even those, um, I, I believe it was Rachel, her name was, where in one of the shootings, I believe it was Columbine shootings, they came to her and held a gun to her head and asked her, do you believe in God? And she said yes, and they took her life. I remember reading those stories and thinking to myself, wow, I could do that. You know, if somebody held a gun to my head, of course I'll say yes. That's because, honestly, sometimes it's easier to die for God than it is to live for God. And yeah, you might, if somebody comes to you and says, do you deny God, you may not say no. But what if somebody comes to you and says, hey man, you want a little taste of this? Or what if somebody comes to you and they're just talking dirty and they're doing this and they're doing that? In other words, can we live for God when it's a complete denial? Can we live for God when it's something small and the pressure just a little bit? Can you live for God when it's your boss? Can you say no when it's somebody close to you? I know we've got a lot of singles in the house. In fact, I believe everybody here is single, if I am not mistaken. Hallelujah. So when you find that significant other, or until then, can you say no when it's somebody you love? Again, we're talking about living this out in private, but also living it out in public. There's a quote. It says this, it is better to be despised for the right than praised for the wrong. Let me present it like this. If you have an opportunity to cut corners at your job, and it's easier, but it's breaking the rules of your job, then what are you going to do? Again, let's think about these things, because if you don't decide today In the moment, you're not going to decide the right way. Hallelujah. But if we decide today, you know what? I'm going to be truthful, and I'm going to be honest. And in public, I'm going to carry out my convictions just as I carry it out in the private. Then we may have a lot different of answers. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. That means that I need to live publicly for God 
even if I'm not doing something wrong, but it could look like I'm doing something wrong. That's how carefully I need to live for God in public, to where I need to even consider the appearance of what it might look like. Is this today? Okay, today. How about you clap your hands to the Lord? Oh, Jesus, God, we thank you today. Lord, help us to live for you publicly and privately. Hallelujah. And I'm coming to a close. How about we stand? In private and public, we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, although the emphasis of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 is obviously on the absence of Paul, he says, you worked out your own salvation, or you obeyed not as in my presence only, but also in my absence. We also recognize this is important. It's an overarching point. Live for God with fear and integrity and character. Hallelujah. Live for God with fear and trembling. No matter how easy it is to do what is wrong, hold on to your convictions. Live them out courageously. Yes, being a Christian might not get you any points on the job. Be a Christian anyway. Yeah, living for the according to the Bible might not make you popular. Live according to the Bible anyways. Do it with fear and trembling. Why? Because Hebrews 4 and 1. Therefore, praise God, since a promise remains of entering in his rest, let us fear lest any of you should seem to come short of it. Since a promise remains of interest rest. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4 and 1, I'm not sure what version that is, but it says this in the King James Version. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Listen, It just has to be just one time, just one moment. I don't want to come short on any of this. I don't want to be partly living with integrity or partly living with character. Oh, I don't want to be short when it comes to my convictions. I don't want to be short when it comes to holiness. I don't want to be 90% holy and 10% sinful. No, but let me live my life in fear with this promise that if I will live publicly and privately for the Lord, I shall enter into that rest. I will not fall short. I will be able to live holy unto the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm wondering if we could come down and take a minute in this altar, hallelujah, to call upon the Lord and say, Lord, help me to live for you publicly. Help me to live for you privately. Lord, help me to live out my convictions. Help me to live them out courageously. Lord, help me to abide by, to obey, and to submit to my my pastor and my leaders. 